the appreciation to learn those languages and fully commit to both and not leave one or the other behind really comes from like once again um, growing up not knowing English and understanding that a lot of families still um, a lot of students even still don't fully know the English language and knowing that I'm one of those people that could help mediate them between the school and themselves is super cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast from Elevation Education that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sofronis, here with a special bonus episode featuring two really great guests. We got a chance to speak with Brian Fernandez and Hiram Hong, two recipients of the 2022 Elevation Scholarship. Both of these students were enrolled in an EL program at some point during their K-12 education and are currently freshmen at the University of Southern California and the University of Pennsylvania, respectively. On this episode, we highlight some experiences they had throughout their educational journeys to get to this point and what advice they would give to educators of multilingual learners. We begin by hearing about Yaram Hung, whose family immigrated to Georgia from South Korea when she was in elementary school. I was eight years old when I moved to Georgia. And the reason why we moved to Georgia was because my mom decided to pursue her PhD at the University of Georgia. Um, and so when she made that decision, our family decided to pack our bags, eight bags to be exact, um, and come to the United States. Um, and for me, it was my first time. My parents actually had I think my dad visited before, but um, mostly we were like pretty new to the culture and everything. Um, and I just remember like walking in the airport, just being so proud of myself for having my own back to carry. It was pretty funny. <laughs> but at that time, I was like, I don't know, kind of excited, but nervous at the same time um, sure. about and also pretty sad about leaving my home country, but like moving to a new culture and um, really just immersing myself in it. I was excited, nervous, and sad. Um, but there was also one other story I recall. I think it was, we moved on July 2nd, 2012, which is two days before Independence Day. Mm -hmm. And so on Independence Day, we were still settling down to, in our new family housing apartment thing um, in the University of Georgia. I just remember we were so freaked out about the fireworks. We were just like, what is this sound? <laughs> like, we were so scared. But I mean, Looking back, it was kind of funny because, you know, it's just Independence Day. Now now we celebrate Independence Day. Um, and, you know, those kind of things kind of, I think, speak to how different and how New York, the culture we were in, was to us. Yuram offers another childhood memory that articulates some of the struggles English learners face when learning a new culture, which she has titled The Pencil Story. So I think it was the first or second day of, you know, elementary school in America. And this girl who was sitting next to me in class, she was like, can I see your pencil? And I took that literally, like quite literally. And I was like, why does she want to see my pencil? And so I showed it to her and then she took it from me. And I was so <laughs> shocked, but she meant like, can I borrow your pencil? Like that, can I see your pencil? That phrase meant, can I borrow your pencil? But I just didn't understand that at the time because I was a new I was a new person to the culture in America. And so like, I didn't really get like the slang or the informal aspects of English yet. And so I was like so offended at that time, but it is also like looking back, it's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, the, the little things like that really stood out to me when I came. Brian shares a different side of adjusting to a new setting, 
While changing elementary schools multiple times as a child, he struggled to make connections with friends and teachers. So we moved a lot because of family reasons. Um, it was hard to find jobs for my mom. So, you know, we had to do whatever we, we had so we could so she could work her jobs and be able to sustain us um, during during our childhood years. Uh, so, yeah, that resulted in me moving around the school district, different schools around different sides of town. Um, so it, we, a lot of the times we were still within the district's uh, lines of the schools. But when we did, I did have to move schools. Um, and so I think that just kind of not only did it make it harder for me to actually fully learn because I never really connected with the teacher right away. Um, and as an English language learner, that's huge. You want to have that support system. Mm -hmm. So moving around was pretty difficult to not only for my education, but for my social life too. Uh, making friends, like as soon as I would make them, I'd have to move. And that just kind of takes a toll on you, especially as a little kid, not knowing really what's going on. And you're like, I just had these friends. Now I have to move schools. So it was a lot of mental um, change, but obviously the physical change as well. Um, and really trying to find that support system was a little a little harder. Both recipients emphasized the impact teachers had on them, both academically and in their social emotional learning journeys. For Yoram, one teacher in particular went above and beyond. The English, I guess, English language teacher at that time at Fair Elementary School, which is the elementary school that I attended, uh, was Miss Phyllis Childs. And I just remember, like, not only, I think she just recently retired, actually. So I haven't seen her in quite a while. Um, I do miss her a lot. But sh the reason why she helped me so much was um, because not only did she teach me the language that I need to know, like the grammar, um, the speaking, the reading abilities, like all of those I guess, components of language. Um, but she really was beside me as a mentor and a friend. And I think that really helped me adjust. Um, she regularly interacted with my family, uh, with my parents and like update on update them on my progress as an English language learner. She would also um, help my brother. So we were like, my brother is in, she, he's two years younger than me. So he was in first grade when we started that English language learning process. Um, but she taught both of us at the same time. She was really, really engaged with our entire family. I think um, she was in that way, a cheerleader for my family, which really helped me adjust um, to this new culture because she was not only teaching me the language, but the culture and how to interact with people. And I really appreciated that about her. Brian's eighth grade teacher has a continued impact on his path even today. I had my eighth grade history teacher, Ms. Prawl. Um, she was crucial in me learning about, um, she was my history teacher, like I said, so she was crucial in learning about government, about states, about the past of the U.S., um, and that really kind of guided me towards the path that I'm going towards, um, which we'll touch a little bit about later, but um, I don't want to spoil that yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, she was really the one that really helped me understand what I kind of wanted to do, what my interests were, um, so she was just all around awesome. She really cared about her students. She was um, she was always looking out after each after us and making sure that we had everything that we need to be successful in her classroom and in other teachers' classroom. Um, and so, like I said, that's kind of touching on the second part of the question. She really connected with the students. If they made the effort to reach out to them, she connected with them. She stayed connected with them. She offered her services uh, for, for them after school, before school, if they needed to catch up on stuff. And it was just an overall welcoming environment. She was always on top of her work which made it easier for us too, because it was never like scrambling of what we were doing. Um, she gave us time to talk with our peers. And I think that's, again, building that connection in the classroom. And I know middle school and high school are so different because you only have certain time. 
Um, but really trying to fit in that time to really connect with other students is really, really key. And that's what made that classroom especially super, super memorable and super comfortable to be in. I'd look forward to going to that class. Um, and I don't know, it's stuff like that, that really, that really allowed me to grow. I think it's just building those connections with their students, knowing um, a little bit about their backgrounds, if they're willing to share it and really making that impact on them in that way that because a lot of students may not have somebody to go back to at home with that comfortability. Um, so teachers often are that resource for a lot of us. Both students shared their unique experiences with leveraging their language and communication skills as an asset, both in and outside of the classroom. There's a lot of pressure um, that once you learn English, you stick with only English. Um, and like you said, I don't think that's the right approach. Um, I think it opens your doors to learn more languages. I mean, job opportunities, the connections, the networking that you get um, is crazy. Um, but yeah, so I think personally... Um, the appreciation to learn those languages and fully commit to both and not leave one or the other behind really comes from like, once again, um, growing up, not knowing English and understanding that a lot of families still, um, a lot of students even still don't fully know the English language and knowing that I'm one of those people that could help mediate them between the school and themselves is super cool. Um, I think that because um, I was really in touch with my culture when I was younger and then I kind of I'll admit, like, I kind of um, let it go once I was, like, learning English and, like, getting acclimated to to different schools. Um, but later on, I was like, yeah, no, this is this is not the right thing. Like, I, I need to, like, stick with both languages. I want to be able to appreciate both languages, both cultures, stuff like that. So I think that's mainly it. I think really being able to help people um, and, you know, just communicate. And, I mean, both languages are so cool um, to be able to learn. They're some of the top languages in the world where you're able to communicate with so many people. Um, and I think mainly it's, like I said, I've used it to help a lot of people, um, whether it be in an actual professional setting like schools where I would go help my aunts out with their kids during parent teacher conferences. Like they'd be like, Hey, can you come help me? <laughs> or making appointments for my mom, um, when she's not able to, like when there's people speaking Spanish out in the grocery stores and they don't really fully understand what their cashier's saying, um, what the doctors are saying, stuff like that. I really, I like, I like to step in and be like, Hey, do you need help? Um, and they are, they're always so appreciative afterwards. They're like, yeah. hey, like I'm super thankful. Um, just speaking to our vendors, stuff like that. I think really just being able to communicate with people that aren't able to communicate is really, really a big, big deal for me. Like I really like helping them and being the medium person between that. Yoram found an activity that pushed her to find power in her own speaking journey and go beyond her comfort zone. Um, I think I started in fifth grade, I want to say. Um, with the optimist oratorical speech contest, which is basically a speech contest. You write about, you write a four to five minute speech about how optimism has impacted your life. I, by the way, um, I, I, the world needs more <laughs> of that right now. That's like amazing. Yes. Yeah. It's not about yes. like trying to convince somebody that your solution is the best. It's just about optimism. I, what, a, what a great concept. Yeah. I know. I don't, I don't think it hit me at that time, but like when I think about it right now, it's like such a good thing to speak on. Um, but yeah, I, I, my speaking journey really started with the Optimist Rhetorical Speech Contest. And I kind of just put myself up there and I was really nervous. I honestly, like the I first bet. time I was up there, I was like, I have stage fright. This is not good. Like, I don't want to do this no more. But I overcame that, I think, by just putting myself out there, just, you know, um, putting myself out of my comfort zone, which is what I did when I came to the United States, when I came to a new culture, like stepping out of this 
comfort zone was, I think, again, a formative experience for me. Um, and I, that was like my initial kind of growth into being more confident in myself and in my speaking. And I think it really is important for English language learners to do that. Um, as long as you're comfortable. But again, this, the point of this is like, you want to step out of your comfort zone and try something new. And yeah. so I think it's really helpful um, as English, learner, English language learners to do that early on. You were placed out of your comfort zone when you came to the United States from South Korea. When you heard those fireworks, you were out of your comfort zone. When you stepped into the airport, you are out of your comfort zone, but you overcame all of those things. We tell me this, like, got to take an asset-based approach, right, to our students, particularly to multilingual learners. They're, they're bringing so much uh, incredible uh, experience into our classrooms. They're not a deficit. They're they're embrace it. And you are showing all of that. How can we take that and and not only give that back to students like you so that they can do things like spelling bees and speeches and battle of the books? but also show others who were born in this country and who maybe didn't face some of those challenges. Here's what it means to really be in that zone of, of proximal development. Here's what it means to have a productive struggle that's going to help you grow. I feel like definitely this podcast helps a lot in that and spreading that awareness, um, but also everyday conversations that I have with my peers really helps in that as well. Um, I guess that kind of empathy with trying to understand the other person's experience really mm stems from like the conversations we have, like what we're doing right now. With all these assets that students bring into the classroom with their experiences, there is a lot happening beneath the surface that teachers may not realize. Yoram shares another part of her family story and her identity that is a familiar thread for many of our multilingual children of immigrants. Yeah, there were definitely challenges. So um, I think my mom finished her PhD in December of 2016. Um, and ever since, I think she stayed for one year with us trying to find a job in the United States that she, we could continue our education here. I think that was her main goal. Um, but after one year, she was still not able to get a job. And therefore, she decided to move back to Korea by herself so that she can get employed there. Um, and so she did. Um, I think the fall of my eighth grade year, she left for Korea. And ever since then, she's been supporting us um, from abroad. In Korean, there's a phrase, a phrase, um, and it's it's called kirogi omma, which means goose mom. So basically, that means like a mom who is abroad, but then she like visits once in a while, sort of like migrational geese, like seasonal migrations mm -hmm. that geese do. Um, so that's like a phrase that I learned um, through through my dad actually, who told me about this um, uh, through my mom's experience in that way. Um, but while she was there, we were trying to get, since we were not no longer on our student visa because my mom completed her PhD, right. um, we tried to start the green card process, which was difficult because I don't know exactly what the roadblocks were, but I just remember there being struggles. And at one point in ninth grade, uh, we were told, I think, that some I don't know what kind of visa we had that, at that time, but our visa had expired and we would have to self-deport. Um, that was a really scary time for me in ninth grade because at that time I was like so invested in my education in the United States that I just couldn't, you know, imagine myself going back to my home country, not because sure. I like resented my home country, but because I would be thrown into this quote unquote new experience again since yeah. I grew up in America at that time, at that point. Um, so I was really scared at that time, but 
um, you know, with God's miracle, I think we, we overcame that. I don't know exactly how, but <laughs> we did. Um, and I'm so grateful because after about five years, I want to say we finally received our green card. Um, and that was that day. I was just so grateful for the, you know, all the struggles and the hard times, but also the fact that we were finally able to um, call ourselves Korean American yeah. um, with her green card. And that was the spring of my junior year. So very, very close to the beginning of the college applications process, which I, if I didn't have my green card during the college admissions process, I think I would have struggled much more, especially yeah. with the financial aid. So part of um, college admissions. So I'm really, really grateful for that. But I, like you said, like I consider my family to be one of the lucky ones because I know that there's a huge backlog for green law, green cards right now. Um, especially people from certain nationalities, sometimes they have to wait 10, 15, mm -hmm. 20 years, like maybe even longer to get a green card. So I'm just so grateful that our family was able to get this green card before I started my college application journey. Um, and currently my mom, she is still in Korea and she hopes to get a job here in the United States. Um, but, you know, she wasn't able to attend my high school graduation. Mm. Um, but I was able to acknowledge her um, because I spoke at my graduation as salutatorian. Um, and I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to have had the opportunity there. And I, I think at that moment, I just could not believe how far I'd come, how far my family has come yeah. um, in the United States. And I just, I'm so grateful that my mom has been able to support me um, even from afar. And I'm so also glad that she's coming to visit very soon, about a couple days um, to us so that she can send me off to college because she missed my graduation. She will be sending me off to college. So I'm uh, really, good. really grateful for that. As we wrap up, we ask both Yoram and Brian each to share their best advice for educators of multilingual learners. Emphasize what the English language learner already knows. Um, and I know there's like, by, by that I mean, especially in math, where there's a lot of symbols and you learn to work with symbols, like symbols are universal. And I think emphasizing like what the learner has already known or like has already learned about is really important because once you get that connection with oh i recognize the symbol i recognize how to do this problem roughly even if i may not understand all the vocabulary associated with it i think is a great stepping stone into upper level math where you can continue learning the language along with the math um so like touching on the familiar parts first and then moving forward i think is really important um and I know, I think I'm saying this because even at a young age, you know, we're still learning, we're learning addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. Like I remember fr learning fractions, ratios, like those things, I did not know exactly like the words for them. Like I didn't know the vocabulary, maybe like, like you said earlier, like what is a ratio? Like I mm -hmm. might not have known that, but I know the symbol for it. It's just two dots. Um, and like same goes for fractions, multiplication, division. So I think that really connected with me when I first arrived in the United States. I was like, oh, this is stuff I already know. And I can use this to continue learning whatever I need to learn in this area. And so I think that's what I did. And I think that's what I recommend, I guess, educators um, to 
continue when, when they push English language learners to learn those subjects to emphasize what they already know. Um, and then also th this goes without saying, but like being kind and patient with them yeah. because it's very, it's, it's a struggle when you learn, when you're learning a, lear learning a language that you need to learn in order to learn the subject. That was a lot of learns, but like, no, that's you know, important. The stakes are higher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just, yeah, emphasizing what you know, and then also being kind and patient with whoever you're working with. Um, it's very, I think it's very important. Yeah, um, I think, again, it's understanding their background. Um, a lot of multilingual learners or English second language learners um, are English second language learners because their parents don't necessarily speak English. Like Spanish might be the first language or personally for me, Spanish was the only language we spoke at, at home. Um, and so for educators that put, could be listening to the, this podcast, I really think that acknowledging that, acknowledging their background of only being a Spanish speaking household is very key, making them feel seen and making them feel or that you're aware of their situation is so nice to it's reassuring as a student to really know that your teacher is there to help you. And that has your back, you know, basically. Um, so I think that if teachers really get to know their students and their background, they're able to help them a lot more. And obviously giving the time. Um, I know teachers, like you said, have a lot on their plate. But, you know, that patience with their students, especially in a new in a new era after COVID, but also in a new era for them when they're learning mm -hmm. English. Um, it's very, it's a lot of changes in your life and it's overwhelming as a little kid. So really uh, just starting that community in your classroom, um, letting your students know that, you know, it's a community, you help each other out um, and that eventually builds up. I mean, if you really initiate those skills at a young age, I think they're definitely going to continue and they'll flourish um, and they'll really become somebody who loves to help their community and people around them. And speaking of teachers instilling a love of community in their students, Brian shares exactly what path his eighth grade teacher inspired him to follow now. Yeah. So um, like I said, because of Ms. Prowl, my eighth grade history teacher, um, I learned that I really, really love government. So I am majoring in political science, I'm hoping to double major in journalism as well, um, and just kind of join both of those, of those majors together. Um, so that's the major that I'm currently on. And with that, I hope to go into law school after my four years um, and pursue immigration law, um, just because, again, I want to really help that that community that allowed me to grow and the, the community that saw me grow, um, because it really did take a village to help everybody um, make it to where they are today. So, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I've been here for two days at, in my dorm room in U at USC. Um, so I'm really excited for the next four years, and I hope my, my plans stay steady along the way. As always, thanks for listening to this bonus episode of the Highest Aspirations podcast, and a special thank you to both our scholarship recipients for sharing their stories, as well as the educators who have supported them along the way. We'll be back next week with our next episode of Highest Aspirations. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.